Well, if you've been coming to New Life for a couple years or more, you know that about every year to 18 months, we have a series of messages on time, talents, treasure, and touch. This one's called Open-Handed Living. And so far, pastors Alex and Pastor Barry have done a great job of introducing time and talents and saying that God has created us, first of all, to be His, and that He has created us to be stewards or managers of all that He has given us. And if you missed either of the messages, Pastor Barry's or Alex, on time and talents, then I would encourage you to go to newlifexn.org or go to the New Life app and watch those. It would be worth the investment of time. So today we're going to talk about treasure, what we usually call money. I don't know very many people who go around talking about their treasure. They usually talk about their money, right? And the thing is, before we get started, I want to address a question that probably is in your mind. If it's not there today, it's been there sometime as you've come to church over the years. You might not ask it out loud, but it probably is there. And here's the question. Why do we talk about money? Why does the church seem to want to always talk about money? I mean, every week we have a time where we give and we talk about money every single week. In the 20 or 37 years I've been a pastor, I've had so many people ask me, why is the church so fixated on money? Well, the short answer to why we talk about money is found in today's take-home point. And if you're new, the take-home point is the one point that I hope to make from Scripture that we want to take home, we want to think about it, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. And here it is. Our attitude toward God and money tells us who is God in our lives. So our attitude toward God and money tells us who is really God in our lives. As Pastor Alex and Pastor Barry have reminded us, God is the author of everything, of our time, of our talents, of all material things. And of our touch. In old-fashioned terms, as I use that word, we're called stewards. But a more updated word would be a wise manager. God calls us to be wise managers of time, talents, money, and touch. So each of us gets the same amount of time, right? 24 hours every day. Except for the day we're born and the day we die, everybody gets 24 hours every single day. Not a second more, not a minute less. But actually, that's the only thing that we get the same amount of. I could right now ask all of us, I don't think we would do this, but if, if I would ask you to stand over here if you make the most money and over here if you make the least money, we could line up in a line and somebody would make the most and somebody would make the least. And then if I said, okay, let's do something a little different. Let's not just talk about who makes the most money, let's talk about who has the most net worth. So then the line would switch around. But you know, I'm not going to do that because how much money anybody makes or how much money anybody has, it's really none of my business. But the thing is, when we started New Life, we had a very practical question to ask. And that question was, who is going to know who gives money and who doesn't in the church? Because, you know, in in America, you get a tax deduction if you give money to the church. And so somebody has to know. And in the churches I served in the past, it was always just the treasurer and the financial secretary. But here at New Life, we decided that the pastor would know. Now, why? Why? Because some people say the reason the pastor shouldn't know is because if the pastor knows who gives how much, then maybe the pastor will treat the people who give the most better. Now, that could be possible if I hadn't memorized and almost tattooed on my heart Hebrews 13, verse 17, which says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That part I like. Here's the part that is hard. As those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, one day I know that I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and I'm going to have to give an accounting for every single one of you that I've been a pastor to over the years. And not just you, but all the people in all the 37 plus years that I've been pastor, he's, he and I are going to have a long meeting. And he's going to say, how did you do there with Jamie? How did you do there you know, with Jim? How did you do there? And, and it's going to be every single one. And, and so here's the thing. If I'm going to help you, and I'm your pastor, which means shepherd, to, to grow in the ways of Jesus, and that's really what this life is all about, becoming more like Jesus every single day, then one of the things that I need to know is how are you growing in your use of time, talents, treasure, and touch? Over the years, a handful of people, I'll be honest with you, have thought, they've come up to me and said, you know, I give a lot of money to the church. Nobody at New Life has ever done that, just so you know. But a lot of people have come up handful of people and I'll always go well what's your point because I do have Hebrews 13 17 memorized and you know what my meeting with Jesus that day whenever it is I don't know when it's going to be but that's the most important meeting ever in, in, in eternity and all the other meetings here on earth pale in comparison to that and I have said many times that the day that my job my job is to make the day that you see Jesus face to face the best day of your eternity and if I can do that, then it's going to also be the best day of my eternity as well. So that's why we talk about money. I know when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, what we're going to do is we're going to start to obey him and his teachings more and more. And here's what Jesus said, something very important. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's where I got today's take-home point. You can see that, right? And notice what Jesus said. He said, we cannot serve two masters. He didn't say it's hard. He said it's impossible. He said either we're going to serve God or we're going to serve money. That's what he said. So God is the creator of the universe, and so we're supposed to put him first in our lives. And if we put money first in our lives, what we're doing is we're putting money in a place that's reserved only for God. So no one is born seeking God, and no one is generous by nature. Look at that statement. No one is born seeking God. Nobody comes out of the womb saying, where's Jesus? It's not like that. And nobody is born generous. Now, am I saying that only people who follow Jesus are generous? Of course not. We all know generous pagans, right? What I'm saying is this. Each person who serves Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord becomes generous or open-handed with time, talents, treasure, and touch eventually. Eventually. Long time ago, I heard someone say this. If you want to know where a person's heart is, look at his calendar and checkbook. Now, I know some of you don't carry a calendar and you don't even know what a checkbook is. So let's update it to say this. If you want to know where a person's heart is, see where he or she invests or spends their time and money. Anyone can say Jesus is Lord. You know, in America, if you say Jesus is Lord, nothing will happen to you. There are places on this planet, if you just say Jesus is Lord, you're going to go to prison or you might have your head chopped off. That's not here. In America, if you say Jesus is Lord, people might look at you a little odd. They might think that you're against everything. But here in America, for the most part, people are sort of neutral about people who say they follow Jesus or even positive. When you and I say Jesus is Lord, which means master or owner, what that ought to mean is that we're dedicated to obeying him. The last message I preached here at New Life was titled, I know God, but I don't go overboard. And actually... The title was a little bit misleading because what I was trying to get everybody to do was actually to go overboard. 
to go all in for God. That was the point of my message. And why do I want us to do that? Because God has already gone overboard, all in for us. Now, most of the time, what happens is when somebody says, the preacher says, we need to follow Jesus. I've, I've been just saying that for more than 40 years, even though I've been a pastor for 37, I've been preaching for more than 40 years. I've been saying, we need to follow Jesus. And you know what people say? Yes, but. Yes, but, you know, I have little kids, and when they get older, yes, but I'm a teenager. I don't even have any money. How am I supposed to give it to the Lord? Yes, but you're asking me to change the direction of my life. Well, yes, but the Apostle Paul had a vision from God. If I had a vision from God, then I'd follow him all in too. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. Because when I was 17 years old, God called me to serve him as a pastor. I didn't even say yes, but. I just said no way. That's never going to happen in my life. I wanted to be rich and famous. And I knew that being a pastor wasn't the pathway to that. And so I just said no. For five years, I argued with God. And eventually, I said yes. There was still a but there for the next 20 years, though. I'll be honest with you. I, I really struggled with this thing where Jesus says, nobody can serve two masters. I wanted to serve God. I really wanted God to be first in my life. But, you know, the things that money can buy are pretty amazing. And so five years into being a pastor, I almost left the ministry to become a chiropractor. Why a chiropractor? Because if you go back all those years when I was five years into the ministry, chiropractors were making money hand over fist. And they were helping people. So I thought I can help people and... I don't have to be financially strapped all the time anymore. Eventually, I realized something. And it's something that Pastor Alex shared with us in the very first message in this series. It's a quote from Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said this. He's a rich and famous actor. You know, you've probably heard of him. He said, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that that is not the answer. I haven't become famous, but I've traveled to Cambodia, Thailand, China, Haiti, some other places. And you know what I realized? I'm very rich. <laughs> compared to the people around the world, I am so wealthy. But here's what we do. The problem is we compare ourselves to millionaires and billionaires. And we feel poor and use that as a reason not to live with open hands. We know people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year who can't stay out of debt. And then we know people who make $30,000 a year who have money in the bank. How is that possible? Well, it's very simple. Money makes a great servant but a terrible master. When we forget who is God in our lives, we trust ourselves or what the world tells us is true, and that is truly the blind leading the blind. So the Bible speaks about money frequently, and here at New Life, we talk about money frequently I, because we know, and I know personally how hard it is to believe that our God is able to provide all our needs according to His riches and glory. But He is able to do that. A long time ago, I had a mentor named Dale Milligan, and he said this about God. To love God is to trust Him enough to obey Him. To love God is to trust Him enough to obey Him. It always comes down to two things in life, trust and control. If we trust that God's going to provide everything that we need, we can open up our hands. If we don't trust that God is going to provide all that we need, then we keep everything that we have because we think we have to provide for ourselves. When we know that God is the one who created us, when we know that God is the one who loves us and redeems us in the blood of Jesus Christ, then what we can do is we can open up our hands and we can let go of our time, talents, treasure, and touch, and we let Him decide how to use them in our lives, how much we give away, and how much we keep to use for ourselves and our families. So the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to a church in a place called Corinth. 
Corinth was a place that was known for its decadence, its sexual immorality, and for its excess in everything that had to do with material, the material world. And uh, he, in his second letter, he spoke about a special offering. And it was a second mile gift, what we call a second mile extra gift. It wasn't a tithe. It was, it was an extra special gift for the church in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem were suffering through a famine. And so Paul had told the people in Corinth about it, and they said, we're going to give an offering. That was a year earlier. And now Paul is writing this letter to remind them of the promise of a year earlier. Now, the thing is, why, why so long? Well, because in those days, you know, you couldn't wire money from Corinth to Jerusalem. You had to carry it from Corinth to Jerusalem. So Paul is going to tell them about this offering and what's coming up and that he's going to be there soon to pick up the offering and take it to Jerusalem. So we're going to read about that right now. Before we do, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was very aware of our need. That's why he came to the earth. Our, our biggest need was for a Savior. And so he, he died after living the only perfect life ever lived. And he rose from the dead to show your power. And God, he also is now Lord. He, he gets to tell us how to live our lives. And as we read this passage of Scripture, God, I pray that we will see for the first time or for the hundredth time how important it is to have open hands as we live our lives. To your glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to turn to verse 1. It says this, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So picture it. The Corinthian church knew that the church in Jerusalem was suffering. And what did they know? Jerusalem, Israel, that's the homeland of their Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And they knew that Jerusalem was the capital. They knew that their faith had originated there. And when they heard that the people there were suffering, they said, we want to help. We can bless them by giving them an offering and then they can buy food. And, and so Paul reminded them of that. And he also reminded them of something really, really important. And that is that the Corinthians' open-handed lives had inspired the believers in Macedonia. Paul had told them about how generous the Corinthians were willing to be on having an offering for a people that were not even, you know, not even their relatives, except in the Spirit. And so the Macedonians became generous as a result of having the example of the Corinthians' generosity. So now it was time for the rubber to hit the road because Paul understood something. Generous thoughts don't always turn into generous actions. And so here's what he said. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you are really ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. So Paul did something very practical. He sent the folks ahead to be sure that the open-handed thought became an open-handed reality. Paul had boasted about the Corinthians' generosity. And he says, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. He goes, more importantly, I don't want you to be embarrassed when the folks show up and say, hey, where's the offering? And you go, oh, we, we just thought about it, but we didn't do anything. He didn't want it to be an embarrassment. 
And, and then at the very end, Paul said something extremely important. He said, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So our attitude when we give is as important as that we give. When Jesus starts transforming us from the inside out, what happens is our fists, which are closed and we keep everything for ourselves, start to open and we start to give of our time and our talent and our money and our touch to the purposes of God because we want to, not because we have to. It's, it's a, an opportunity, not, a, not an obligation. So Paul offers a brief and powerful illustration next. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So, not very many of us are farmers, but picture this. You own a 10-acre field. A 10-acre field. It's all ready plowed, ready for planting. And you reach in your pocket and you pull out six seeds and you throw them in the ground. How much of a crop are you going to get? Not very much of a crop, right? But you take that field and you sow the whole field. You're going to get a great harvest. And what Paul is saying is when we give money, we are sowing. And I've seen that happen so many times over the years. Right here at New Life, we have this building because people sowed into it. And, and that's the word we can use. They have sowed, we have sowed into this building so that what we can do. What can we do? We can share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ right here in Saxonburg. We, we sow money so we can provide people to equip other people. We actually do something very practical. We give food to people. We also give backpacks to people. We also, we give candy to people. I know some people say, well, you don't need to give kids candy. They already got enough candy. I won't argue that kids already have enough candy, but I still think trunk or treat's a really good idea. And then we plant churches. We've helped plant churches right here in western Pennsylvania. We're helping to plant a church in Colorado. We helped to plant churches in Cambodia. And we're plant, we've planted many churches in that island that we don't usually name. And what is the harvest that we expect? Souls, people, souls saved for eternity. The fruit that we're, we, we're not just planting wheat or, or rice or tomatoes. We're planting for eternity so that people who are lost, who are going to go to hell, get their lives changed and are transformed and come to know Jesus and are going to go to heaven for eternity. So Paul offers some additional brief points about open-handed living. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I love that verse because it tells us never, never to give reluctantly or in response to pressure. If you don't want to give, then, then, then don't give. If you feel pressure to give, don't give. I mean, how many opportunities do we have to give every single day? I don't know about you, but in my emails and in a regular mail that comes from the post office, every single day there's multiple opportunities to give to good causes. Hungry people, people that are in oppression, people who don't know Jesus, all these opportunities. But how do we know when to give and when not to give? Well, the, the, the right answer, the short answer is we pray. Paul doesn't say it there, but we obviously know that that's what we're supposed to do, is to pray and to ask Jesus, when are we supposed to give and when are we supposed to keep and how much are we supposed to keep for our use and for the use of our families? Very few of us are ever asked to give away everything we have. But you know what? Even if Jesus says, give everything you have away, you know how we're supposed to respond? Cheerfully. In fact, in the Greek, the word is hilaron. We get the word hilarious from it. So we're supposed to be smiling when we give. And, and you know, I'll be honest with you. When I read those words decades ago, I wasn't there. 
I started tithing as a teenager. I've been tithing and more than tithing since I was a teenager. But a lot of those years, you know why I did it? Because it was the right thing to do. I didn't realize something. We don't have to give. We get to give. And I realized that. Nancy and I, lots of times we sit down and there's something that's come to our attention. And we say, you know what? We could help in this situation. And we both have joy in our hearts and smiles on our faces as we help in a situation where we're actually being the hands and feet of God simply by giving. We're sowing into something. You know, it took me decades to get to that point. I just want you to understand. I said I've been tithing since I was a teenager. Do you think I look like a teenager? Wait, you laughed. No, I know I don't look like a teenager. But, you know, it's so much better to be in a place where it's joyful to give rather than just giving because it's the right thing to do. So Paul reminded us of something important that happens when we give cheerfully and open-handedly. He says this, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. It's just another way of saying what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. So Paul underlined this statement by quoting uh, the Scriptures in his day. You know, the New Testament wasn't written yet. He actually wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But he quoted the Old Testament, Psalm 112. He said this, As the Scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So who's going to remember our generous deeds forever? Well, the only one who lives forever, God. That's something important for us to remember. You know, I'm so grateful that at some point in my life, I realized that rich and famous last for this long. I was thinking about that this morning. Does anybody remember who the quarterback was before Ben Roethlisberger? Tommy Maddox. His daughter was a personal friend of our daughter, which is the only reason I remember that. And I'm not saying that Tommy Maddox doesn't matter. He does. But he's not famous anymore. He was famous for this long, and Ben's been famous for this long, and Ben's going to be gone, and then it's going to be somebody else, and we will remember Ben for this long. And then it'll be somebody else. Because rich and famous doesn't last for very long. But rich in God lasts forever. As Paul wrapped up his encouragement to be ready to give with open hands, he wrote this. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Now, Paul says two good things happen. I say three good things happen. Here are the three things. First of all, God provides for us. That's a good thing. And then the second thing is God uses us to provide for others. And then the third thing is, God receives the thanks from them. It's such a powerful cycle. God provides for us. We provide for others. The others give thanks to God. It's an amazing cycle. And I've seen that cycle happen over and over and over and again. We get to join in his work when we live with open hands. Now, something else happens, Paul says. He says, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. They will pray for you. So when we open up our hands and give, he says that people who receive pray for us. I've seen that. Once again, I've seen that happen so many times. In fact, a few years ago, I did a wedding a few miles from here. And after the wedding, this lady came up to me and she said, you're the pastor of New Life, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. 
she, she got tears in her eyes and she said, well, I got some blessing bags at Thanksgiving and if it wasn't for those blessing bags, we wouldn't have had anything to eat. That's right here in Saxonburg I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Cambodia. But we've been able to provide food in Cambodia and in India and in Cuba. And, whoops, I'm not supposed to say the word. Well, this one isn't being recorded anyway, so it doesn't matter. I can say. We've provided churches, all those things. And those people pray for us on a daily basis. I've been to Cuba and, and, and asked them to pray for something. And when I go back the next time, they tell me, I've been praying for this every single day. And, and what Paul says is, this is the cycle that is produced when our hands open up and we start sharing with others. So, Paul closed with these words. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Well, Jesus is the gift that's too wonderful for words, right? There's no other gift than that. But here's the thing. Being able to open our hands and give generously provides something wonderful too because it provides all over the world, starting right here in Saxonburg, going out into our communities, our region, our nation, and our world, to supply blessing from God. That's the thing we need to understand. We got it from God. We share it with others. They give thanks to God. It's an amazing cycle. And it starts with God being the God in our lives. When God's in charge, this is the cycle that happens. And inevitably, it happens in all of our lives. So, until Jesus is Lord, owner, master in our lives, today's next step won't make any sense. But when He is, it makes absolute sense. Here it is. I will sow generously with the money God has entrusted to me. We've covered a lot of ground today, right? You might need to go onto the New Life app and watch this message again because there's a lot of information. But the reality is, when we understand everything, every good gift comes from God, it's funneled to us so that we can use it, time, talent, treasure, touch, to glorify Him, to share His good news, to help people that are lost become found, to people that are hurting to be healed, all of those things. It all starts with this. I've seen it over and over and over again. When our hands open up, especially when it comes to our money, and we realize it's not our money, it's His money, and we start, transformation happens in a way that doesn't happen in, in any other way we start to realize that we are fully God's and we belong to Him. And what we share with others is from Him and we're just conduits. It's like if I went to your house and you gave me a glass of water, I wouldn't say, wow, you got great water pipes in your house. I would just say, this is great water. That's all we are, water pipes. That's all we are. Now that doesn't seem very famous and rich, does it? <laughs> but it's part of God's plan and God's purpose in our lives. So, if we want to know the joy of living with open hands, it just starts with opening our heart to God. If you're here today, and maybe this is the first time you've heard something like this, I want to ask you three questions. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Is He in charge of your time, talents, treasure, and touch? And do you live with open hands? So if He isn't, and, and if you, if He if He isn't Lord, and if He isn't in charge of your time and talents, and if you, if you don't live with open hands, then I'm going to tell you the secret. It's not really a secret. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over in really every church that's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the secret is Jesus. The secret is letting Him be Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death, and Lord, which means owner or master. And here at New Life, we say the life isn't easy, but it's very simple to get started. Simple as ABC. First thing we do is we admit. We admit that we've been God, that money's been God, that something other than Jesus 
has been God in our lives. That's the first thing we do. And then we have to be believe. We believe that Jesus truly is Savior, that he died on the cross for me and for you, not just for the world. The world's a nebulous concept. You know, you're not a nebulous concept. Debbie, you're a real person. I'm not a nebulous concept. Chris Marshall's a real person. Jesus died for real people like each of us. We believe that. And then Lord, which I've said several times today, means owner, master. He gets to tell us what to do with our lives. So we believe that. And then C is confess. means two things. We confess our sins. Not, we don't just admit to ourselves that we've not been living the life we ought to live, but we confess it to God because he's the only one who can take away the sin and give us a new life. And then after that, we start to confess to other people around us. We don't brag about it, but we just say, when people start to say, you seem different. You know, they might even use the G word. You seem like you're generous. Where's that coming from? Jesus. Very simple. That's the best testimony. Whenever they actually notice our lives are different, we live out what Jesus calls us to be and do. Have you trusted God with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your touch? Have you trusted God with your life? If you haven't, today might be the day. And if you already have, today might be a great day to reaffirm that. If you're ready to take this step, please pray with me now to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that there are things in my life, Lord, that I know aren't right and that you know aren't right, Lord, and I just pray that you would please reveal those things to me, Lord, and I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son, and that he came to this earth and he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he is my Lord and Savior. And I confess that I need a Lord and Savior. I confess that Jesus is the Lord in my life, Lord. And I confess that without him, I don't have a chance, Lord, that I just, I need you. I need you. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you make this gift so easy that you just freely give us your grace, Lord. And I just hope that, that with this grace, we can take each day, Lord, to pour ourselves out and live openly the way that you intended us to. In Jesus' name we pray.